G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast. This has been an interesting journey so far and I am learning a lot about an area I honestly have no idea about. The support and love I have had from you all has been amazing and it's awesome to know I have you all coming along for the ride. My big favor for this week is if you could all please share the podcast to anyone you know Every like, follow, and subscribe I get makes all the difference, and I cannot thank you enough for the help. On today's episode, I got to catch up with a good friend of mine, B. Devlin. B. is a gun football player who made her way into the AFLW, representing both the Fremantle Dockers and West Coast Eagles' inaugural women's teams. In our chat, we spoke about the challenges she had growing up wanting to play sport as a female, what it was like being in the AFL system, and just how different the men's and women's teams are treated in the early days. This was such an insightful chat into a sport we all know and love as Aussies. I can't thank B enough for opening up and sharing all these experiences. Chuck your speakers on or put the headphones in and enjoy this chat. As always, I absolutely love yous. G'day and welcome to the Matt and Mates podcast. Join me as we share some stories from some old and new mates. Ben, thank you. Really appreciate you coming in today. It's been some time since I've seen you. Welcome back to Perth. Thank you. We could move back here roughly around the same time, so welcome back to Perth. <laughs> Just to give a bit of a rundown, for one more, you're a former AFLW player, you absolute gun footy player, <laughs> strength conditioning coach, and just basically anything sport related, you're an absolutely avid fan of. Is this correct? Pretty much. Yep. 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 Perfect. So what I want to go through today is pretty much go through your entire life, how you've got to that point yep. to where you are now. Because I feel I've got to see it firsthand. And I feel like you've still got a bit more behind the scenes. <laughs> That's untold. <laughs> to give a bit of an idea of how we know each other, though, it's only been, did you say it's three years? Three three or four, yeah, something like that. Not... I'd always heard of you because I would have to go and watch Subiaco games. And I know you were playing in the side that time. Yep. But we only really met because we had mutual friends at Lutus. And it was probably one night in particular, I remember, I saw you out of Benny's. Yep. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we'd never, we'd probably spoken like, hi, how are you? Yeah. And had never a chat. had a full chat. And yeah. so I think we spent about a good 30, 40 minutes just chatting. Yep. And that's how I really got to know who you were, which was awesome. I actually got to see you and now we're doing this. Just now I'd say we're friends. And... Awesome to good friendship. Yep. That's all we want. Um, so we'll go right on to what I like to start with. Quick little question. Just see what type of person you are. If you could go back to a moment in history and witness it with your own eyes, what would it be? I actually think about this a lot. Like, So we've got a few options. Yeah, because a little bit of a history buff and a bit of a nerd, like there's parts of, like, I would have loved, not from, obviously I don't condone war and I think it's a horrible thing, but just to see what it actually was like within, say, like for the Anzacs at Gallipoli, like to be like a little bird's eye view of what that actually was like because obviously we've read about it a lot at school. I've been to every museum in Australia pretty much that talks about it and I find that stuff really interesting and I'd say a, um, 
yeah, very much someone that loves Australia and cares about our history and whatnot. Um, so just to see what that actually was like. Just be not actually fighting. Not fighting, no. But just, like but in just a little to, bubble. Yeah, in a little bubble and float. Just to see like how, again, like it would be absolutely gruesome, but just to get an understanding of what these people had to go yeah. through because I think particularly now, like, you know, with the way that society is, I don't think we probably as a whole, as a collective, obviously the people that do care, but I don't think we understand just how difficult that would have been yeah or how what it actually was like and even just like or even being in australia at that time like when japan was potentially going to try and break through to darwin i yes, know there was that right. battle there but like knowing what that would have been like or even again them being in britain when world war one world war two were going on because that would yeah. not have been a very nice place to be but just to understand like what those people would have been going through i think that would be kind of cool obviously very doom and gloom and not something I ever want to ever happen or have to actually physically live through, but just to get a better appreciation of what that was like and how difficult that time of life would have been. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I had Todd on not long ago and he actually said the same answer, (laughs) but he, he went into it like during that time it was over 2000, now it could be wrong on the stats, but it was over 2000 soldiers died Mm. in that one day. Yeah. Whereas now... It's, I think you said we've only lost like 50 or 60 soldiers. So it's, yeah, the stats are a lot crazier than people. 100%. Like those guys, like again, like I've watched a lot of those movies and read all the books and whatever. They were literally just like slaughtered, like line up, machine gun. Yeah. They stood no chance. And I'm not sure everyone quite appreciates or understands that. And then on the flip side, being a female, I think if I ever lived in that time, that would be very annoying because. Obviously, oh, women's yeah. rights and whatnot was quite poor. And again, watch a lot of those movies. I think it's the Suffragettes, whatever it's called, something like that. Yeah. When they were starting to stand up against, you know, actually being allowed to vote and having rights and stuff. So again, anyone that knows me, they were quite, well, I wouldn't say, well, probably am a feminist. Like. <laughs> but then if we go to like probably more a little bit fun, upbeat, I would love to go to like, well, I don't know, because Freya haven't really won anything and I've been alive <laughs> since Freya basically good round so i can't really say anything like that but it would be cool to go back where would i want to go maybe to watch like don bradman in like an ashes series in england like that would that's a good answer that would be pretty cool see him actually in his full work yeah to see what he again to see what he was actually like and you know maybe go back to like body line series and see what that was like compared to how they bowl now i mean obviously yeah we're all alive and well and truly watching like when Mitchell Johnson, the Palms Apart. Yeah. 2013, 14. Back in like the 90s. Yeah. 40s, 30s. Yep. Right. Yep. Just to, yeah, to appreciate that. But I feel like there's lots of like times in history that I would love to go, to go back to and just witness from afar. Yeah. Not be alive during the time, but just see it. Just, just see it and just understand what that would have been like. I think, yeah, as the little nerd and bookworm and whatever in me that would be quite cool to experience because yeah obviously my sporting passions at afl and lived through all of Fremantle, basically all of Fremantle's existence and great time isn't it great answer probably one of the best answers we've had so far oh thank you <laughs> so let's just go back well and truly to the start so give us a rundown where you're from and where the love of footy came from born bred raised proud west australian was born at Murdoch Hospital, I'm pretty sure. So not far from... Always south of the river. Yep, south of River Gal. Yeah, she lived in this house my whole life. So mum and dad built the house that we live in currently in 1994. 
I think, a couple of years before my older sister was born. So we've been very lucky to live in one place right off the freeway, so close to get everything I've ever needed to go to. Yeah, I went to school not far from here, so my Christy Catholic Primary School and then Emmanuel Catholic College is my high school. So again, everything I needed was in this little 10-minute yep. bubble. <laughs> And then obviously, yeah, working, went to Murdoch University for my undergrad and honours and then um, ECU for my master's, but luckily that was online, so I didn't have to trek all the way yep. up to Joondalup. <laughs> we had to go there for two weeks to prac, but the train uh, saved me there. And then, yeah, obviously working in around Ludus and whatnot, again, my reef, not far from yep. where I am now. So again, in that little catchment zone of 20-minute Perth area that I needed to venture. But yeah, to get back to your question, I suppose, love for footy. Dad always had footy on TV, obviously very much Frio fan. So we always had Frio on yep. the on the TV. And I think, yeah, we played a few. I feel like a lot of tears have been had in this household. Yeah, plenty. Or a lot of screaming at the TV. Not too many broken remotes or anything. I'm pretty controlled in that regard. But yes, lots of screaming and crying. Yeah, we always just had footy on the TV. I remember for as long as I can yeah, physically remember, like always wanted to play footy. Always kicking out the back. I remember it like pre-primary and kindy, always kicking the footy with the boys. Looking back now, like probably a lot of times been like, oh, but you're a girl, you can't do that. But obviously that never yeah. stopped me. Did you have a large girl, like a nah. friend group? No. Nah. You always hung out with the guys? Yeah, because I just wanted to play sport and play footy. And um, Was that hard? Well, I don't think so. Not till I got a little bit older and then I kind of like realised like that wasn't normal. Yeah. A little quotation marks there, like, you know, because then you start to get a bit older and society tells you different things like you're a girl like you're supposed to look like this you're supposed to do this you're not supposed to play sport like because i don't think we had well when i was in primary school anyway there was never any girls in the i will play with us at all they'd usually like be walking or something but yeah the whole narrative was it was guys go get all the sport equipment yep. cricket footy rugby whatever you markers want. up or something like that just be sitting down chatting or yeah giggling away or yeah walking around the oval and whatnot and yeah so that was never really me and it didn't really bother me until probably it maybe like that high school when I was like, oh, like this is not what I'm supposed to be doing or like I'm different to everyone else. But I was pretty lucky, like, you know, it probably helped that I was pretty good too. But <laughs> and first I, chosen. I mean, yeah, well, maybe not first chosen, but I mean, if you look at all the people that I played footy with, how many of them have played AFL? Just me. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I think that definitely would have helped. And I know all the junior teams and that that I played footy with, like the first couple training sessions were a bit awkward. And I don't know, like I definitely was aware of it that I was the only girl, but like mum and dad never made me feel any less for wanting to play. That's good. Um, so really lucky in that regard, always had them. Like I remember when I first wanted to play Auskick, apparently wasn't allowed to until I was like six or seven, whereas the boys could start at like five for whatever reason I wasn't allowed okay. to start at five. And I just remember like when mum and dad told me that, like I literally just cried because I was, I just wanted to play footy. Like obviously being five, you don't understand the whole societal indifference yeah. that was there. And obviously that's changing now, but this we're talking more like 20 years ago. So oh, it's still it's forever changing. Yeah. Girls didn't play footy. So for them, get told that I wasn't allowed to do that I was like I mean if I put it into how I'd think now I'd be like what the crap? like that's not right like why can't mm. I do something like who cares if I'm male or female like it shouldn't matter just playing sport and obviously a yeah, little kid me didn't really understand the whole global issue or systemic cultural environment or problems that we have with letting males and females do the yeah. same thing so yeah that was quite I suppose challenging and then from there I suppose I was always just like a little part of me probably was 
oh, we'll stuff this. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. Like girls can play footy. And I remember once on the radio when dad and I were driving to like probably like an under eights or nines game. So Sparrow fart early on a Saturday morning back when they used to be. Yep. And they were talking about like on the radio, like, oh, will a female or a woman ever play in the AFL or wonder if we'll ever have like a, a women's AFL. And I remember saying, dad, I was like, yeah, yeah. And I remember being like, Dallas, I'll be the first girl that ever plays AFL with the boys. Like I don't care. And I used to like write my little, so I love journaling now, but I apparently have always done it because I found so many like little notebooks and journals where I've written the little goals or, or what now done or drawn like little pictures of me, like winning the Brownlow or something. <laughs> Cause I was always like, I'm going to do that. Spent hours and hours out in the backyard kicking and training and practicing because I was like nope I'm going to prove all these people wrong because girls should be allowed to do the same thing as boys I suppose that passion for wanting to be equal and treated or respected as an equal has always been something that I've done probably maybe didn't always know that but the older I've gotten I'm like no like this is wrong like why should I not be able to have the same opportunities that you would have or any other guy would have just because he's a boy and I'm a girl like why yeah. should that matter so yeah right going through like the ages of playing footy I don't know how it worked in Perth so in Geraldton yep. it worked don't think we had a girls league can't quote me on that I do know in under 12s now we had some girls play but I think once in a moment we got to under 14s 16s it was just guys it was just yep. boys yep. how did that sort of transition were you playing with guys then or was there a girls league as well yeah so yeah i went through, through auskick and like junior footies to under 13s with the boys um so through the boys comp because there yep. was no separate girls comp i think i only ever stumbled across two other girls in that like 10 year period one of them i can't remember the other one was ruby schleicher who plays for collingwood now so we used to play against each other in juniors when our teams would come up against each other it was like oh who's girls better and <laughs> whatnot that was always a little bit funny. And to look on now, both of us got drafted and played AFL. And so I don't think any of the guys we played with or against ever got drafted again. Like, not that it's a competition, but, right. you know. <laughs> and Gabby O'Sullivan was a few years ahead of me at Bull Creek Lean Me. So we never crossed paths, but she plays for Freya now as well. She was at Bull Creek too. So there was, yeah, what, three, four girls, including me, in 10-year period of my life that I saw playing footy. And other than that, like, I thought we were the only ones that did it. Or I thought I was the only girl that yeah. played footy, like because obviously you didn't see it and it wasn't on TV and you had no idea about anything. So I played up till the first year of like finals or you play full field or whatever, which is under 13s at the time. I don't know what yeah. they call that now. And then the next year, I just played footy at school because I had a few like back issues and whatnot. Like I had 13, 14, had like three bulging discs and impinged nerves and whatnot. So I should have known that the rest of what oh, was so to come was <laughs> started it. started young. But then Roger's couple youth girls started in 2013. So, yeah, I was 14, however old I was at the time. So that's cults essentially for girls. So I was lucky enough to roll into that. Then there was the state school girls and not so played women's footy from about 14 onwards, all just with the girls because then there was actually a clear pathway for girls' footy and men's footy because obviously for clear reasons, like men and women shouldn't play together, I don't think, after a certain age. I think before you know, that under-13s, I think, if you want to, you should be able to play with the boys because there isn't that much of a physical difference. But I think once both genders start to hit puberty, then... Yeah, that that's when things change. Yeah, obviously, because girls get in their periods, boys just grow differently and faster, and then you don't want to have those conflicting um, yeah, definitely. issues. But I think to a point, there's no reason like Auskick 
from and then to under 12s and under 13s i don't see any reason why girls can't play with boys and i think having grown up with the boys like you probably learn more yeah and you get exposed to different things and i think from again a societal point of view like boys hopefully then learn how to respect women more if they're yeah. female in their team and 100%. and you learn as a female how to converse with boys better yeah. because it's a challenge it's different yeah again i was quite lucky like everything started to happen when I was kind of going up and through it. So I got to play all the way through, you know, youth girls all the way up through to league to then play AFLW. But I know some of the girls that I played who were a couple of years older than me were playing like league footy. So 15, 16 versus like 25 year olds, which I'm, I don't think is the best thing. That's, um, yeah. Because you look at maturity, size, just... Because I think they're in that, very different stages of life. Yeah, that, um, that ruins the men's. I think that they have to be 18 now, whereas like years and years ago it was... Mm. Guys as young as like sixteen playing yep. in AFL level, which it's not it's not right. Like and just it was brutal back then too. So. Oh yeah, the game's changed a lot. But yeah, I just think having that under 18s age group, I suppose. Obviously, you can have your odd person that should be playing league, and that's fine. I have no issues with that. But fifteen year olds, I don't think should be playing with twenty five year olds. Oh like, god, no. it just yeah. We had a few in the sand because they don't have an under eighteen. So there's a few sixteen year olds that would like run around against us, and some of them were like little sticks. And I'm like, I don't want to tackle you because I'll crush you, yeah. like because <laughs> I'm just bigger and stronger. Like I've been in the gym basically your whole life, like <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, I was fortunate in that regard that the pathway kind of existed once I'd kind of finished playing juniors with the boys. Yeah. So that was good timing by me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So it was always a dream to play AFL then. Be be the first ever women's player. Yep. I'm assuming you were. No. No. But <laughs> well, that's because I then I realized I was like, oh, girls play footy. Yeah, like exactly. I was like, this is great. There's all these people that I can now be friends with because I didn't even know they existed. Exactly. Um, so getting that transition through to becoming into the AFL, walk us through that. So like we see the men's when it is, they do the whole draft, has the draft, camp, combine car, yep. whatever it is. They go through that, selections come up and they pretty much get told what number they're going into the draft. Yep. Like they have all their meetings, yada, yada. So the draft's basically rigged at the moment. They walk <laughs> in there basically. But walk us through... For you, how, what was your experience? So you're playing league at, what was it, 16? You said you were playing? Yeah. Yep. Mine's actually a bit funny. So yeah, playing, played state school girls. So that was under 16s at the time when I was 15 and 16. So that would have been 2013 and 14. I was lucky enough to be Australian in both those years. We won the national championship in 2013. So it was the first time anyone had beaten Victoria. And like, if you look back at that team now, there's probably I think about 10 to 12 of us got drafted or were in and around the AFL system. So like, again, an incredible age group to be a part of yeah. and, and grow up through. And then the next year, and that was my first year under 18. So I played three years in state under 18s. So that first one, again, we won the national champs, which was again, really cool. So Michelle Cowan was our coach, obviously the first coach of Fremantle in the AFLW and she's yep. at West Coast now. And again, that team was absolutely stacked. Like, you know, you've got Hayley Miller, Fremantle's captain, was in there. Sabrina Frederick Torp, who plays for Collingwood now, was in there. Brianna Green, myself. Basically, I'd say 80% of that team went on and got drafted. However, their careers maybe ended up slightly different, but like a lot of those girls at least got a crack at the system, which is pretty cool to be a part of, like yes. to know that we kind of all grew up sort of together and now we're going to forge the path of what AFLW is going to look like for the next 15 to 20 years so that's that's pretty cool and further yeah ever now hopefully so yeah again really cool to be a part of that um so played three years under 18s 
again, two All-Australians in there as well, which was pretty cool, playing Rogers Cup at this point. I think won that competition best and fairest three times in a row, again, which was pretty cool. So I was like, here we go, you know, hopefully stars align, like things things should happen. Then made my league debut in 2016. So I think I was that was the year yeah. I turned 18. And then obviously the AFLW started in 2017. So yeah, played league all of 2016. AFLW, did that start? Like it was the back end of 2017, I think it was that. Yeah. So something. I think they played in like summer. Yeah. Pretty God, it feels like a lifetime ago. That was extremely hot. Yeah. So I think like, so my draft year was the first year, the first AFLW draft. So like, obviously like everyone and anyone, the age didn't really matter. So I think if I look back now, not that I can control how old I was, but like, so I didn't actually get taken in the initial draft. But if I was like a few years younger when the draft, when only like 18 year olds were drafted, me and probably two others were like the best under 18 year olds in WA, like clear standouts, like would have been in all of your sort of like papers and everything, like what the boys get now and what the girls get now, the young kids coming through, like would have been talked about probably a fair bit. But then because we kind of got like, shunted aside because all of the like older girls were getting picked up in that inaugural draft as well which absolutely makes sense like you need to build a list from somewhere yeah didn't actually get picked up in the first draft which was pretty disappointing because like I thought that was what you know stars align that's what's supposed to happen one of the girls actually like ruptured her ACL or something early in the pre-season and then a few of us got invited to train on with Frio and then ended up being put onto the list in the January during the preseason. So it wasn't quite how I pictured my fairy tale getting drafted, but ended up being on the list, which is what I, you know, that's what I wanted at yeah. the end of the day. Still was in all the team photos and things like that. So all the official, the official things, I was there, I was in it. And then, yeah, played, I think, three games in the first season at AFLW. Again, wasn't quite how I thought it was going to go, but when you, I was a fresh 18-year-old, everyone else was at least like 21, if not older. Yeah. So I had a lot of that to try and break through and deal with, but it was an emergency for the first game against Western Bulldogs at um, Wittenover, which was really cool. Didn't get to play and quite funny, a little story about that. So this is first game ever of AFLW. So no one had really thought about like the logistics of it. Got to warm up and stuff, but like wasn't allowed onto the ground as an emergency at this point. But then like, I was like, so what do I do? And someone else told me just to like wait in the change rooms. And then someone else was like, why isn't B out on the ground? I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, I don't know. I still don't really know, but I think technically emergencies aren't. Like, I thought I was allowed to do the first warm up on the ground with yeah. everyone, and then you come back off. But I think nobody really knew what, what was going, going on. Yeah. But then an extension of that. So then when they went to go out, I was like, "Oh, well, I just go back, get changed, put like a Apollo whatever on." Then I was like, "Where do I sit?" Like, and they're like, "Oh, that's a good question." Like, they hadn't thought about where I was supposed to go sit because obviously we were playing at Whitnoble, so there was barely anybody from Fremantle there. Yeah, and we didn't take a lot of staff at this point. Like, I think we travelled with maybe like four or five staff members who were basically all on the bench. Actually, we probably took way more than that, but there wasn't a lot of people left yeah, yeah. outside of the people on the bench. And then I was like, "So who do I sit with?" So like, luckily one of my friends' mums was over to watch her play in the first game. So I just sat with her, and we were sitting right behind the team dugout. But I was like. <laughs> what am I supposed to be doing? Like, I was like, do I just sit here alone? Like, <laughs> am I allowed into the change rooms at halftime and things? Like, you're not going to leave without me. <laughs> yeah. So that wasn't, yeah, that was a bit weird. And there's plenty of, and I'm sure anyone that could, was in the first couple of years at AFLW tell you, like, there was a lot. Been, it would have happened so much. There was yeah. a lot of weird stuff that you just, 
like was like okay or oh crap we didn't think about this until it happened so now we're here oh what do we do yeah like we so Fremantle just moved to Coburn Arc like halfway through our season yeah so brand new facility but there were no lights and when do you think the girls trained at night time so we'd have to do our match sim at the start of training before it got too dark and then we had this one floodlight that was up the like where the players park their car to do the rest of our training so like we were in this like little quarter of the oval under this one floodlight trying to do training and people wonder why aflw wasn't so great the first couple years but every club i know the crows were in a similar position so so you were training for a very minimal amount of time yeah and everything you know we're only contracted for 12 hours a week everyone was doing way more than that but you know often we'd get to training like 4 30 wouldn't wouldn't probably get home till like 10 30 11 o'clock at night and then i live relatively close so coburn's about five minutes from my house but yeah. some of the girls live like out your way out like clarkson so that's like a 40 minute drive at the best of times so they're not getting home till 11 30 12 o'clock at night and then have to go to real work in the morning the next day and i was like oh like this is not sustainable and then we wonder why people got injured all the time snc hat on that's why yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're tired so yeah then second season at free again 2018 that definitely didn't go to plan. Like, broke my finger in a preseason game against the Crows. And, like, I'd worked really hard in the off-season in the Waffle W. Like, so I was still at South Fremantle at this point. Like, So just just going back to your first season, how, did you, how many games did you play? I think three, two or three, okay. maybe two. Full game time? Nah, nah. I got shafted a little bit. Like, was... Because we could have six rotations on the bench. So I was kind of, like, always, like, the last one. Because I was, yeah. like, the kid, you know. Like definitely like looking like that was frustrating. And at the time I was like, oh, but I just want to be here. But like looking back now, I was like, that was super frustrating. Yeah. And I don't think it was that fair, but it that's like footy. Yeah. And yeah. like, if I look back on, I suppose like my whole career, like I suppose growing up as a junior, like it should, like you would have thought like trajectory wise, just going to like go well, through you the roof and then. Men's, like have these players come. Yeah. Start off a little bit slow, but they're straight away. Nick Dacos, for example, I mean, he's hmm. a freak of nature. Yeah. Like, he's a straight into it and then all of a sudden absolute superstar almost winning yep. Brownlow yep. second year in his career. Yeah, which is nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But everyone's story happens differently and I think as much as I wish mine was different, like it is what it is and at least I still got to play, albeit it wasn't quite how I ever hoped that it would turn out, but I think you got to try and find some sort of silver lining or positive. Otherwise, we just all sit here and cry. <laughs> but You're probably doing what a lot of girls wanted to do. Yeah. But they would have sat there going, oh, I would love to have done it. And you actually went, no, nah, stuff it. This is me. I'm yeah. doing it. Yeah. I'm setting my own path. And that's created that, not only you, but many, many other girls mm. to create a path for further ones to go on. And you're yeah. Like, oh, cool. It's getting a bit easier for me to get dry. It's getting easier for me to like learn all this. Learn how to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So you copped a bit of shit. Yeah. Well, that's okay. You know, still, I think there's something that I've had to battle with a little bit, like I suppose mentally, but I'm like, no, I still made it. Like I made it you know played afl albeit it was only i think eight games across five years and half of those being injured but like still got to play eight games at afl footy which is yeah. eight more than most of the population will ever get to play and got to meet some really cool people and do some That's really it. cool experiences along the way so yeah it would have been nice to be like still in the afl and have played you know 50 odd games of footy which in women's footy that's probably like 100 odd games but that's not the way my cookie crumbled unfortunately but experience you learned from it yep you've, you've moved on to bigger and greater things yeah i like to think so so you like think so you played for Fremantle and west coast was it yeah were you part of the inaugural west coast team 
Yep. yep. So that was kind of cool. Get to be part of two sort of inaugural setups, yep. inaugural year at Freo, then inaugural year at West Coast. But yeah, so 2018, second year at Freo, broke my finger in pre-season, finally worked my way back from that and then ruptured my ACL in like a, it was like a pre-season sort of, no, so we were like midway through AFLW season and I was like, if I can work my way back, like I reckon I'll get like, like, there was maybe like four, three or four games left in the AFLW season when I was like fully cleared from my broken finger. So I was playing in like, they called the Jan Jan Cooper Cup at the time, which was just something for the girls that weren't getting an AFL game to go play against the Waffle W girls essentially. So working through that and then, yeah, ruptured had was in the first 15 minutes of the first quarter of that game. And I think I'd had like five or six disposals already playing across half back. And I was like, here we go. Haven't missed a beat. If I keep playing like this, I'll get to play AFLW the next week. Happy days. See you later, knee, like all over Red Rover. And Did you hear that so, pop? Yeah. Yep. Oh, I feel like the whole world could have heard it. I don't know if anyone else heard it, but like this, it was like, it was like rice bubbles, you know, that yeah. pop, that was what my knee did. <laughs> I remember the second time I did mine, I just, I remember hearing the sound and went, oh, I know exactly what's happened. Just yeah. sat there for a moment because you know what's oh, going to happen over the next Yeah. Time. Oh, I was like, this is not good. Like, yeah, I felt it. I literally was just turning around, running obviously, but just turning around something I've done a million times before snap goodbye like luckily so this was that steel blue oval so i wasn't too far away from the interchange bench did you know what you'd done oh yeah i knew yeah yeah, i was 99 percent sure what i'd done was what i ended up doing 16 Um, i did mine 15 actually the first time i did mine and i didn't actually know because i'd never really had a big injury Mm. so i just went oh that's a bit strange like my knee was a bit unstable so i went to the bench said oh my knee hurts a little bit and they went i'll just rest for a moment and get her back out And then about five minutes later, I did like a little jog on the boundary line. Went, oh, yeah, I'm feeling fine. <laughs> went back out in the field, went into the very next contest, knee gave way, and I went, okay, that's not a good sign. Went back onto the bench. Now, junior footy yeah. in the 14s, yeah. we don't actually have one. You have no one. You've got some yeah, we have parent who's the coach. Being that knows CPR or something yeah. like that. <laughs> so going back onto the bench, and it wasn't until like, told my parents about it they're like oh we'll just see what it feels like sore physios and that yeah you've strained the ligament in your knee and i reckon it went on for about two months before a doctor actually went i'd like to get an mri done oh you've actually completely ruptured your m your acl and you've got quite a large meniscus that's there. only a minor ligament in your knee <laughs> so that was fun to learn at the age of 15 no. yeah it... like, i know exactly that pain yeah and mine was like like some people say it doesn't hurt. Mine was probably one of the most painful things I've ever done. And I don't know if that was more the shock of knowing what I'd done, but like I tried to stand back up and like I literally thought my whole leg was going to explode and collapse from underneath me. Like, cause I ended up rupturing my ACL, part of my MCL and my lateral meniscus was all just gone. So, you know, I don't do things by halves, which yeah, you know. And you just go all in. Yeah. If you didn't do it, you may as well do it well. And that's what I did. Just blow the whole thing up. Yeah, that wasn't fun, but that basically was the end of time at Freo, which is a bit heartbreaking as a Freo fan. But I mean, the way the AFLW is and was back then, like, didn't we only had like a thirty-player list, so you couldn't really yeah. bring someone that wasn't going to play. Which, as hard as that is, I'm a very realistic person at the same time too. So that was a bit, yeah, not great, but yeah. And then you went to West Coast. Yeah. yeah. So then, so- well, then I moved to Subi. So for the 2019. So obviously missed all of 2018. 2019, moved to Subiaco in the Waffle W yep. to just be around, you know, some high-end talented players, but also more professional sort of coaching staff. So Martin Pierman was the head coach there at the time with Sarah Michelle and just and Tammy Jackson was at SNC. So I worked with Tammy a little bit at Frio. 
And obviously she was, we worked together at Ludus and whatnot as well. But I was like, well, I need someone to help look after me. So I was like, well, I know Tammy and I trust Tammy. So yep. I'll go there. And then started doing some stuff in with West Coast as well in their academy. So basically was in and around West Coast for, I'd say, three years. But that first yeah. year was when they, we didn't, it wasn't a team yet, but like they helped me a lot with my rehab. Well, Liv Del Basso helped me a lot. And again, now a really good friend and probably one of the biggest mentors I've had. Again, as horrible as rupturing my ACL was, I was like, well, if they didn't do that, then Liv and I probably wouldn't have maybe potentially become as good friends. Yeah. Like, because I wouldn't have had to work with her so closely. Yeah, silver linings. And from a strength and conditioning point of view, I was like, well, I learned a lot about rehab in that time. Kelly Payne was my physio from Frio. She held me back at some points, which annoyed me, but I was like, well, you're only doing this because you care and you want the best thing for yeah. me. And I was like, cool. Now I understand more from a physio side of things as well, how that, that S&C process, how we've got to work together and collaborate and not just tick boxes, but what that framework should actually look like in terms of return to play and benchmarks you need to hit. So it's not just, oh, we're going to be back in 12 months. It's like, no, okay, we need to hit these certain metrics. If that takes 10 months, if that takes 14 months, like it doesn't matter, but we need to actually hit these things before we progress forward, which I think that was super important. And that's probably how I view rehab now as well. Like, you know, yes, you can by all the things it says oh you should be able to return to running by three months i'm like yeah but if you don't have you know your quad mass within two centimeters of each other or you know you can't do this many calf raises or etc cetera, etc cetera, stuff just, like that just can't wait three months and then expect no to yeah things actually have to be in place to be able to do that which again as horrible as rehab was i was like cool now i know understand the process more then i can then apply that to the athletes that i exactly. work with yeah. and then yeah it was played really well at subi that year we went out in straight sets, which is that that's when we would have first met. Probably should have won the flag that year. We had about fifteen girls who had or who had AFLW experience or were still playing the AFLW and then our next five or six were still like absolute A graders in the waffle and yet to go out in straight sets. That was pretty heartbreaking. I was like, yeah. again, fairy tale, like I'm gonna come back. I played some really good footy, like I was super stoked, like it was probably some of the best footy I've played. Obviously the year coming off my ACL as well. I was like, Oh, happy days, we're back, let's go. Obviously a lot of my motivation dream rehab was like, I was like no I'm gonna get back to AFLW and prove all these people like this is the end of me like you know you haven't just flicked me off just because I'd done my knee and yeah like we're flying I was like oh, we're gonna win the flag like this is gonna be great like we had a great team and then yeah we choked one out straight sets and each three ended up winning which is a bit sad but <laughs> but you learn a lot from it too Oh, 100%. Just getting the fact that he's playing finals. Some people don't experience finals. No, well, I haven't for the last couple of years, so definitely don't take those opportunities for granted. If I look back in my finals I've played in footy, I've only played, because of my injuries for one, but Mm. I've actually only played in three final series. I've only won one game. I've lost three. And that one final was actually two years ago when I was like, 28 27 <laughs> yeah insane what is cruel right like again being a junior like i'd won national championships at saffron mount on the rogers cup we made the finals every year won a flag played another grand final won our school grand final played finals for that so i was like no oh, winning like playing finals this is great Sacramento League, obviously we didn't do too well. So we played actually played a final there in my first year, which was great, but then didn't play finals the next couple of years. Moved to Subiaco. We were in the finals all the time. Obviously, again, AFLW barely won a game in the times yep. that I was there. And then the two years in the Sanford, I went all of four games in two seasons. So that was, I was like, where's all this winning gone? <laughs> <laughs> I miss those days. Yeah, I miss when rocking up to training and everyone's, you know, everyone would be up and about even if you lose, but it's just, it's just more fun when you win. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So much more enjoyable, but yeah. So your time at West Coast, 
eventually like it came to an end. What sort of, was it injury? The mm, yep. Yeah. So 2020, obviously we had the COVID season, but I played every game in that year. Got bounced around a few different positions, which I guess is the beauty and the curse of being, I'm relatively tall for a female, run really well, relatively well kick the ball really well. I think that's probably one of my biggest strengths, like ball use and decision-making. So having all those sort of facets, people kind of like, I think you should play here. Oh, I think you should play there. Like nobody quite knew where to put me or because I've played footy my whole life. Like I read the ball really well. So like can fix a lot of problems, but then also that was quite hard because then nobody knew where to put me. So yeah, that double-edged sword, which I assume if you spoke to anyone in men's footy or women's footy who play that sort of utility role, it's like, it's great and I'm glad you appreciate my versatility but like then you don't actually know where to put me in. It shoots me in the foot because, yeah. yeah. You just keep constantly going like, I want to just, you want to... I just want to be left, yeah. That's one of, you want to ace that spot. 100%. If you're getting booked from forward to back to midfield straight all the time. Yeah. It's just like, you know, what my week's going to look like. No. And I think I was in, I remember once I was having a chat to one of my teammates, Kate Orm. She was like, do you just get your own little WhatsApp group? Because you just like a utility. So you should, <laughs> she's like, you're in all the other ones. So you should just have your own one. And I was like, oh yeah, you're probably right. Call me. Like, <laughs> just was my own little group chatting to a few people while I was in Adelaide. They're like, yeah, like we just, a lot of people just weren't sure like where you best sort of fit because you always got bounced around. And I was like, yeah, well, I don't know either anymore because everyone bounces me around. Like I think I do know. I think cross half back is probably where I feel pretty most comfortable and can yeah. impact the game a lot. But yeah, I didn't really get to spend a whole lot of time there. But yeah, season one at West Coast obviously was interrupted by COVID. That was an absolute, oh, what a crazy time that was. It was like just yesterday. Was oh, right. Crazy. We lost indoors for six Suck. weeks. Yep. Was, everything was shut. Everything was shut. So, yeah, we'd just come back from playing Melbourne at Casey Fields. We were absolutely walloped. So that wasn't fun. And we, like, heard there was people with masks and stuff on them. This COVID thing was kind of, like, floating around. We're like, yeah. what's this? Then the next week we played Gold Coast, but no one was allowed to go. So that's when it was, like, that time. Yeah. So locked out. You could see fans, like, around the fence, like, that fence around Mineral Resource Park. They were standing there, but it was weird because nobody was there and the weirdest game. Then we did like a post-game review on the Monday. Liv moved all of our gym equipment that we were allowed to use that the boys weren't touching outside of mineral resource. So the gym within West Coast facility, she took all this stuff out and put it near where the Perth kind of part of the building is. This is on the Tuesday. Then we had another big team meeting. We did our gym. And then by Wednesday, like we weren't allowed to do any, like you weren't allowed, that's when like ScoMo was like, everything locked down don't do anything like yeah. you weren't allowed to leave your houses or whatever and we're all just like what the heck like so some of our teammates so a good friend of mine talia Rodan, had to go back to adelaide a couple of our other teammates from victoria had to go back to victoria and like and then some of our irish teammates went back to ireland and like we we don't know when we're going to see them again like because yeah. gone just like she had to get out of there real smart for all the borders shut and yeah. No idea what the future is. Whole no idea. And then we'd have meetings over Zoom, but it was like, well, we could be in this for like six months. Like I remember at work with Ryan, he was like, well, I don't know how we could be in here for like a year. Mm. Well, how do we keep the business afloat? Like how do we keep people engaged? Like that was such, it was just such a, a weird time. Like really strange time. I just remember quickly buying some gym equipment going on. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Just set up a... Right. And I did the same thing probably like two weeks beforehand, like when we kind of like COVID was starting to be this like rumbly, like this infectious thing. I just happened to buy some dumbbells and whatnot. And then like two weeks later, you couldn't buy anything because everyone had done that. And there was no, it was like a shortage of gym equipment. And now how much of that do you reckon is just sitting it's in people's gaming? It's just, I think Marketplace took them. Yep. Fit for that one. 
people worst, still probably can't get rid of it. Worst part about that for me, going off topic here, but the worst part of the um, COVID pandemic for me was my whole structures just got thrown out the door. I was working full time then, and working full time, you sort of just go, right, I know when I'm, I know when I, I know when I need to be at work. I know yeah. when I need to be at training. I know when I need. I go to the gym, all of that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's just like, no, nah, stay at home. Nothing. Wasn't working. I had all this gym equipment, so I'm like, oh, well, I, I can work out whenever I want. Yeah. I can do computer work whenever I want. I can do this. And you just, everything just got thrown out the door. Yeah. Your whole structure. Like, yeah. I was doing my master's at the time. And like, I mean, I was always someone that went to lectures, but obviously your ma- my master's was online anyway, but I could do all that. But like, I literally just trained like every day. Like, we'd go for a run, took Sheba for a walk every day, I think. Because, I mean, we were lucky in WA. Lucky. We're only in lockdown for like, what, 60 days or something. And I reckon Sheba and I went for a walk every single day of the, well, those days <laughs> and because we were allowed to drive places still so like when exploring yeah. when it did stuff would go run right. no i don't know not not first lockdown we didn't have that radius thing oh, that, that i mean the, the next the year small. yeah those small ones yeah because before that like i'd ride my bike into the city go get a takeaway coffee from places because i'm like what else am i going to do like i can have I can go for a ride for three hours like i'm allowed to leave because you have a curfew to be. oh that was like yeah because and then when we'd never experienced that before until the next year when we had masks and your 5k radius and i was like people actually checking though like like, that's what I was yeah. confused about. Like, so if I leave, is anyone actually going to check? Because I know in Sydney, like a friend of mine was in Sydney, if you went to like Bondi Beach and you weren't in that area, they literally would tell you to leave. Like, they'd kick you out. Yeah. Which I'm like, oh, God, I don't know if that happened I here. But it was, like no, but it was the weirdest thing, right? Like, yeah, and you had to be in your little bubble. You couldn't leave. Like, only go to the shops if you needed stuff. Like, you had to wear a mask everywhere, literally. Yeah. Felt, and then when you had to get all the vaccinations and you'd go through all those lines, it was like something out of an end of the world movie. Like, it was yeah. nuts. Strange times. Very strange times. We went on for a bit there, but <laughs> West Coast. West Coast, yeah. So 2020, COVID's happened. COVID, yep. Then got, yep. I'd say, well, I was, had a fair bit of life stuff going on just as COVID happened. So I was like, Oof. I'll just get absolutely like Jack. <laughs> trained all the time ran all the time like was fit as a fiddle and then we came back and waffle w had started in like august so we had yep. a bit of a hiatus and then west coast we were training again as a group played the first three rounds of waffle w and again like i was like killing it probably some of the best games we had played i reckon i had like 30 in both games it was just patrolling across half back and amy lavelle was our coach she basically was like b i trust you you just go play yeah. footy she's like go have fun like so I did, and I was like, oh, great, feel great. And then I started to get a little bit of awareness in my hamstring, my left one, after one of the games, which I was like, mm, considering, you know, we've only played three games back after doing, God, like, oh, I was fit, but, like, there's only so much you can prepare yourself for, like, kicking, change of direction or whatnot. So we're training at West Coast two times a week at this point, and then at Subi another time a week. And then I was at Subi this, the, four, the fourth time, but not training, because I was like, oh, that's way too much running. Then, like, yeah, probably started to get a bit of tendinopathy in my hamstring. And I was like, hmm, don't think this is great. So we just changed over physios at essence, uh, physios, changed over strength and conditioning coaches at West Coast, which anyone that knows me would say I didn't agree with that decision. I think there was a lot of us that were pretty upset about how that got handled and went down. And again, obviously, Liv being a friend of mine, I was pretty sad to see how the way that she got treated in that situation. But things like that happen in professional sport unfortunately so I was like you know what like this new person coming in like that's still someone I can learn from so I try to be really positive about it started to get some like hamstring awareness and I was like oh like what would you like me to do about this he was kind of like oh like just see how it goes it's around four like I pretty much had a tendonopathy at this point and I was like mm, it's really sore on ground balls 
So we're playing Peel down in Mandra. I got through the first half, like Cotters and like Tammy, who was at SNC at Subi at the time, were just like, we'll just see how you go, like warm up or whatever, see how you feel. I was like, I feel comfortable enough. Played the first half and Tammy's like, no, nah, I don't want you to play anymore. Like just play half. Like we'll really try and manage it. So then I stopped kind of training during the week to just try and play yeah. games. So then I tried to put that through to West. Like, so Tammy was trying her best to actually communicate with SNC at West Coast to be like, look, this is still Waffle W. So I feel like, I was contracted to Eagles, so yes, I understand I had to take charge, but we're in Waffle W season, so I'm like, collab together, work together, cool, great, this will be fine. That didn't happen. He like wouldn't reply, wouldn't really get yeah, get in touch with Tammy or yeah. give her any feedback. Our physio at West Coast, Yippie, is a good friend of mine. Like She was really good, but again, physios don't seem to pull rank over that sort of stuff. That's more the S&C sort of role. So I was like, oh, do you mind if I like reduce sort of training loads because that's what we've been doing at Subi. So like I did that for like, Two weeks, missed one game just because we're like, oh, I think we had a bye or something. And then the next week, my SNC at West Coast was like, no, you have to full train twice before I let you play. So he made me do two 8K training sessions in season. So we're in season. So you would know that. Yeah. You don't do that. Made me do two full training sessions. Was like, no, don't listen to Subi. And I was like, oh, but I trust those people. And I don't know you from a bar of soap. And yeah, left a lot of stuff out in this story. Like, I was like, mm, I don't trust you. Like, <laughs> and then, yeah, ruptured my hamstring. So ruptured through the bicep, ten, uh, bicep femoris tendon. So the muscle up through the tendon junction. Ruptured that up straight through the middle. Two minutes into I came against East Freo. Just from like, so we'd been trying to manage it. So very significantly deloaded um, with the idea that would then build back up, play, yeah. play a little bit of game time, then rest during the week and flow like that. To then from the two weeks prior, I reckon I'd done like a total of like, 15Ks in two weeks, so not a lot, to then basically doubling that in one week in two training sessions and then fatigue on top of the tendinopathy that I'd had and mm. see a hamstring. So, yeah, that was fun and then obviously had to have surgery. I didn't initially want to have surgery and I thought I was going to get away. At the club. that stage, was the footy club paying for the surgery? Yeah, yeah, so I still contracted and whatnot. So their doctors and all that had a scan and they're like, yeah, that's a pretty bad. <laughs> You've done a pretty good job there. I think it was a grade three. So as yeah, bad you as do you things Yeah. Yep, ripped straight through it. So that was quite disappointing. And then again, Subi made the grand final that year. We didn't win. That was hard to watch, but it would have been a lot harder if they had won. Um, oh, yeah. Because, like, would have missed out again. But, yeah, so then had surgery on my hamstring and then just the whole sort of process. So eight to ten weeks is what I got told. I reckon it took, like, ten months till I could, find, like, trust my hamstring again. So I had nerve issues. So in the surgery, they have to move your um, sciatic nerve like out of the way to, they basically stitch my hamstring back together and had to move the nerve out of the way to do that. But when they did that, like I had a heap of like conduction issues after that because they irritated it. So I'd get like tingly feet, like my car, I could do like say 30 calf raises on my right leg, literally barely struggled to do three on my left leg. And I had to think so hard to do it. And doing my master's, having an undergrad degree. I was like, there's something wrong with my nerve here. Like, yeah. this is not right. Communicated that. What do we think happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing changed. Went to the surgeon about it. He was like, meh, didn't care. The next time I had to see the surgeon, one of the people from the club came with me, basically said the same thing I said, but because it was a guy that came with me, the surgeon was like, oh, okay, yeah, I think there's something wrong with the nerve. I was like, I told you this three weeks ago, mate. Like, And yeah, I probably haven't. Well, some people have heard this vented story, but we'll leave all the nitty gritty details out for this podcast in case anyone listens to it. But so that just so I had impinged nerve, which took like when I was cleared to run, which I shouldn't have been running because my calf was not working. Yeah. 
because it was affecting down like where my calf and that was inserting. Literally, I'd try and run and it would feel like my calf was going to explode. Like it was that painful. It would be excruciating. Like I'm a pretty tough cookie and I was in excruciating pain. Like my my foot, like you know how you're supposed to run and your toe, you know, your foot bends. Yeah. My foot literally wouldn't bend because it wasn't like activating. And I knew that I shouldn't have been running, but I was like, oh, West Coast said I can run. Like, <laughs> I'm going to do what I'm told. So I'd run and then I'd feel like my leg was going to explode, calf was going to rip apart. And then this probably happened for like two or three weeks. And then I was like, no, it's, it's not right. So then they're finally like, oh, yeah, there's something wrong with your nerve. Why didn't you tell us? And I was like, oh. <laughs> I did. Like, And then I obviously got quite, you know, everyone that knows me quite reserved and whatnot, but like, I was pretty annoyed at this point oh, yeah. i was like you're, you're supposed to care about me it's your duty of care and i've told you now you're trying to tell me that like you didn't i didn't tell you i'm like yes i did like i was like, i've told this person this person this person i know they've spoken to you about this so don't say that you didn't know so yeah then yeah that was quite disappointing and that then that happened and then yeah so it took probably so in this time then running on a calf that wasn't activating i ended up getting a stress fracture in my shin because all the load was then going onto my bone because the calf wasn't doing what it's supposed to do and tarry taking the load so i got a stress fracture so then that took about six weeks to get over and then in that time like six weeks of not really running or anything just trying to get my calf to actually function we're doing heap of like so calf iso testing on the force plates and like say my left calf could push like 50 newtons on my right side I can't remember the numbers exactly but say it was like 50 on my left and like 250 on my right like that's pretty significant difference so that probably took till maybe like January February the next year so I tore my hamstring had surgery in September where I didn't feel like normal on my legs to be able to progress my hamstring to doing any sort of running like sprinting and whatever the high speed stuff that I needed to do so probably like the January February on top of having stress fracture and all this other stuff that everything that could have possibly gone wrong went wrong but then when I was finally like okay I feel a little bit better my hamstring still didn't quite feel great like I probably didn't feel that comfortable sprinting because lots of stuff had been missed like knowing being an SNC like there was I there was one training session they then let me like tick off to full train and I was like oh like did I do any high speed they're like oh yeah you did 40 meters in that one session and apparently that was enough to clear me to be able to full train I was like 40 meters that's like one effort did you ever share your opinion on your recovery a little bit maybe in hindsight I should have done it more but I also was like well I'm not here to coach me yeah like and it got a little bit hard because some of the girls like would be in the gym and our coach would never really watch anybody in the gym. They'd be like, B, can you just watch me and see if I'm doing this right? Or can you show me how to do this? And I was like, well, I can, but it's not really my job. Like, Yeah, you're there to actually I'm train. I'm there to be an athlete. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, got clear to train off one 40 meter or couple 40 meter effort. Well, you know, I hit top speed for 40 meters apparently, which I definitely didn't hit top speed. And I was like, that's not right. Like, <laughs> it's not how you clear someone yeah. to play. And I was like, I hadn't done anything else in the, I was like, you know, you got to earn the right to be able to go back. I was like, what have I done to to be able to do this? Like my Nord score, so my hamstring strength was still at a 25% differential. And I was like, that is bad. Like it's supposed to be supposed to be within 10. Yeah. Uh, Post ACL, they usually say like 15. Liv and I got them back down to I think 13 at one point, which I think is the best, the closest I've ever gotten them to being symmetrical. But this was that 25% difference. And I was like, I know I can definitely at least get below 20. Like I was like, I'd feel yeah. more comfortable. No. And then... Anyone else? Oh, well, I'm allowed to play. And then got knocked out playing for Subi, so playing Claremont. So I'd gone half game. This was supposed to be like my first like full or 75% game time. And this chick just like ragged on me, threw my head into the floor, blacked out. Like there's footage of it. Like pretty, I'm pretty sure I was unconscious for like a split second. 
then I get up and I'm like, you can tell I don't know what like planet I'm on. Yeah. But got a free kick, right? The kick the goal, <laughs> kick the goal. But I remember like I had, like, I couldn't see. Like if you were standing in front of me, like everything you were like moving, somehow managed to kick the goal. And then I was like, and then I just seen a like, oh, I'll show you up those. <laughs> so I was like, ooh. And then our physio like ran straight over to me. I was like, I'm not okay. I was like, I feel awful. Like was delirious, like dizzy, had the biggest headache, like had blurry vision, everything. But then they were like, if you throw up, you have to go to hospitals. So I was like, not throwing up. And then obviously like a few people from like, you know, obviously knowing a lot of the girls in and around WA footy, like few of my teammates from West Coast were playing another team like they ran up and checked to me like made sure I was okay which was really nice and then like yeah the doctor rang me and is like oh like you know make sure if you throw up blah 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 do this and that over the next couple of days I think I had a headache for like three weeks after that and then it probably took her like two weeks to like feel like I could jog or whatever but then I probably still had a headache um so that compounded on top of like my hamstring and stuff I probably didn't yet play decent footy again till maybe like June that year so almost a year later and then, yeah, we had a new coach that season at West Coast and then got delisted because he was like, oh, I've just never seen you play. And I was like, well, I don't really think that's my fault you didn't see me play because X, Y, and Z to do with like high performance stuff, which I think, and I try to take my emotional stance out of it. And I was like, look, from a professional point of view, I was like, this was done wrong. Like this was done wrong. I was yeah. like, and this is not just me. Like I obviously, many teammates, so I spoke about yeah. it. I was like, this was handed poorly, like this shouldn't have happened, blah, 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 blah. And I think the like, I got some really good, I really enjoyed my time at West Coast and this sounds like I didn't, but like just because I cared, I was like, you can't have people like this in your program because they're just going to ruin people. Like you want people looked after. I was like, certain people can't, like you can't have people like that in a program that don't clearly want to be there. Like, hmm. and he didn't yeah. want to be there. He wanted to be, he was in the men's program and they got brought across because of COVID trying to cover costs and then what do you reckon the next season he was not in the program anymore he's yep. still with the men's program it's like fine go do what you want to do like don't treat don't treat women's footy as your little stepping stone or just like ugh, this is the thing i have to do like yeah. the girls don't deserve that nobody deserves that but definitely not a professional sport and yeah look how the men's injury toll is doing <laughs> wonder why <laughs> yeah, that's but that yeah these are rough but yeah, then, so then week after I got delisted, playing game at Subi, we're playing Swans, some chick, I kicked it, she went to smother it, she stood on my foot, pushed my foot sideways and then fractured my navicular, so. <laughs> you had a great run. It was like a sign of, yeah, we're going to give you a few challenges to play. Yeah. See if you can get through them. Let's, let's see how resilient be really is. Oh. Raps you as shell. I was like, this was tough. Like I'd never not had footy. So that was really hard. Yeah. But learned a lot, grew a lot as a human and as challenging it was, you know, a really good thing to happen, I think. But then break my hamstring and then break my foot and then the concussion and then I was like, life, stop. You know, With things me. things happen to people for a reason, I guess. Like, that no one wants to go through that. No, <laughs> I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, but. <laughs> so being delisted and obviously having all these injuries, how did that sort of go on you? One, physically, you just feel exhausted, I'm yeah, sure. Shot. But <laughs> mentally, how was that? Yeah. Hard. That was probably the hardest thing yeah, I ever had to deal with and not being able to do the things that I wanted to do and then just questioning like myself a lot. And obviously, you know, being alone in rehab a lot of the time was quite you know, depressing, for lack of a better word. Spending a lot of time being like, am I going to get back to doing this? There was time in my hamstring rehab. I was like, I don't want to go back to main training because what if I just get hurt again or... 
So there's a lot of fear avoidance sort of going. Yeah. yeah. Or like I was like, well, I don't really enjoy footy that much. So I don't really like, I like, like, not that I liked being in rehab, but I was like, at least I could control certain aspects of it while I'm in rehab. You can't really do that out on the field. And then I probably like didn't really trust my body all that much. And um, obviously certain people I was working with, I didn't really trust them. So I was like, well, this isn't all that great, is it? <laughs> Did you start to resent the sport at all? Oh, when I broke my foot, I definitely was like, you know what, like maybe as much as I love footy, like I broken my heart more than anybody, yeah. any any um guy would ever want to let happen to. Like you wouldn't go back to an ex five times in a row after they <laughs> broken you, but I like, just keep going back to footy. But yeah, there's definitely, there was a very, after breaking my foot, I was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Like, if I can keep putting myself through this, like mentally it was like, you know, you have to work extremely hard and. I worked extremely hard my whole life. But I was like, yeah. I don't know how much more energy and effort I can put into this thing that I just keep falling apart from. You know, you'd come home from training, I'd be like upset or just exhausted and yeah, not myself. And it's just taxing and lonely. And then obviously that impacts the rest of your life. But then, yeah, my friend Coogs, who yeah, was in Adelaide, she pretty rang me in line. It was like three weeks after. So I'm in a moon boot and whatnot. She's like, would you want to come to Adelaide? Like, you know, playing the sample, which like, obviously no guarantees, but Port will come into the comp. Like, you and know, so what year was this? Start. This is 2021. 2021. Yeah. So then that kind of got that ball rolling. I was like, oh, that's a big move to a different state. But I was like, maybe a fresh start would be good and, and whatnot. So then, yeah, we chatted that out more. She was coaching at West Adelaide at the time. So I was like, you know what? Like, what have I got to lose? Like, I'd probably regret not going more than if I'd stayed. So yeah, gave it one more little crack at the playing footy. Was that a hard decision, moving into state? Yeah, obviously leaving everything. I'd never lived out at home before. Yeah, leaving we actually moved into state like pretty much the same. Well, I think I'd condition. like told you, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to go to Adelaide. And then, yeah, maybe like two weeks later, you're like, oh, I'm going to go to Darwin. I was like, oh, yeah. so, well, this is fun. Because it's daunting. Like, I was, I don't know about you, I was in two minds for a very long time. Yeah. And I just kept going. As much as I'd like to say back then, I was getting out of my comfort zone a lot. Looking back now, I definitely did it. I usually just sort of stayed in my sort of routine. I say what's safe, right? Like- yeah. I had a good job or a semi-good job. I made enough money to enjoy the nicer things, have fun with my friends. Yeah. But I just felt as if I was stuck in that routine. Yeah. And when this opportunity came up for me, it took a lot of thought because I went, well, what if it sucks? What if it's nothing like I thought it would be? What if I... And then you start having... Go broke. Or- yeah. <laughs> Started having that thought of like, oh, if I just, what if I go over there, but then I move back in a second, how much piss of them are going to get taken out of me? Yeah. Which like your friends are going to be supportive. And if they take the pitch, that's yeah. the same. Yeah. But. But yeah, you yeah. think of all those things, everything negative, like, yeah, what if I move back straight away? Then I've wasted my time. What if it doesn't work out? What if, yeah, I lose money or I make no friends or you know, all those sorts of, where am I going to live? Obviously, the price of petrol went up significantly oh, about the time that we both moved. It was like, oh, crap, like, how am I going to make money? Yeah, I definitely sat on the fence for ages, but I think... And that would have been your first time living out of home too. Yeah. Yeah. In a state where I knew, yes, I knew Cougs. One of my other teammates, Caitlin Pope, lived over there and a couple of other girls that I played footy with were there. But probably, yeah, I knew, like, actually could have a conversation with probably, like, five people. Yeah. So that was pretty scary to move somewhere where I knew, oh, knew not many people terrifying. had never been. I've never been to Adelaide before. I was lucky. Like, I remember been... hopping off the plane. What it was like. Yeah. Oh, I think when I got on the, like I was excited, but also scared at the same time, got on the plane, 
sat down with my little journal that one of my friends had got me and just like started crying mostly because I was writing about Sheba and how much I was going to yeah. miss her which is my dog for anyone that doesn't know and obviously all my friends and family that I'd left behind like but literally just bawling my eyes out and you have to have masks on at this point and I tried to yep. keep my funnies on because it was like daytime when I flew and the lady next to me was pretty, the lady next to me was pretty like what is this girl what is this girl's problem like what is wrong with her because I literally like I was like full bawling like there's probably still watermarks on my notebook like <laughs> And I was like, oh, God, like, I'm so... And then the second week that I was there, because it was still kind of COVID-y, one of my teammates had gotten COVID and we had, like, a team camp, so that was Adelaide. And because she was in my, like, group, I got deemed a close contact. So I had to spend my second week in Adelaide where I knew no one, we stuck had, in hotel quarantine had, in a city I'd never been in, like... <laughs> we had the exact same start. I got COVID three days after getting into... Actually, it was about four days after getting yeah. into Darwin. And... I basically was like, I was at work. I was like, oh, I feel a little bit off. And the ruling in the NT was after you get off the plane, coming from another state, you yeah. have a rat test, rat, yeah. in um, your 24 hours, another one three days, another one at the sixth day. Yeah. My three-day one came back positive. And at this stage, all I'd moved with was two bags. So I was, and I had a mattress that I'd bought over there. So I had to isolate in my room and I had three other roommates at the time. Yeah. And I was isolating my room with my mattress on the ground. One of them had kindly gave me the TV out of their room. Yeah. And I sat it on the ground in my room and I was streaming from my phone, just watching Netflix, feeling like crap yep. in a state I don't know anyone. I've yep. got my family, friends. Yeah. But and, you're like, this is great. Oh, it sucked. Yeah. Yep. So I didn't even have COVID. Like that almost made oh. it worse. So I just got deemed close contact. And at the time you had to isolate. And uh, I was living with my coach at West Adelaide at the time. And his wife was working in like as a nurse, let's say. So like she couldn't get COVID because she was working in a high risk situation. So like, oh, so the club, yeah, paid for me to go into this hotel room. And I was like, if I got there and I was like, what am I doing? Like, and I was like, right in that moment, I was like, what? Oh God. Like maybe I shouldn't have done this. Like. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I'm so glad I did. But like in that moment, I was like, I'm here alone. I know a few people. Like luckily some of my friends like dropped me some dumbbells and stuff to, because I'd worked really hard that often. Tell the top of the person you are. And I was like, I'm not undoing all this hard work I've done to get here for a week where I couldn't do anything. I was in the city in Adelaide, just on Hindley Street, which at the time I had no idea what Hindley Street was, but that's basically like their nightclub city. So it was crazy. At night, like you just hear all this weird stuff. And I was like, oh my God. Because I didn't have COVID and the rules, well, my sister will say that I shouldn't have done what I did, but like I went out, there was a park right down the road. I think it's Karen Rolton Reserve. So I just walked across the road and went for a run. I walked with a mask on, ran around, did some conditioning, didn't stay out for too long, like an hour top. So, you know. Well, if you look at it now, you can go around with COVID anyway. Well, yeah. So, yeah. And then I, you know, I was staying in the city. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go walk to Adelaide Oval and the people of the hotel, like, I think I told them that I was there for quarantine, but they didn't give a shit. Like, oops, sorry. <laughs> they didn't. You can swear. It's oh. <laughs> they didn't care. So I was like, oh, well, like, I wanted, I didn't go anywhere where there were people and I was outside wherever I went. But I was like, I'm not staying cooped up in this. Like, I think I read three books and I'd only brought, like, four with me. So I was like, God, now I've already read three of my books. Like, this sucks. That Australian Open was on, so watched Ash Barty dominate. That was the year that she won, so I watched yep. that. That was kind of cool. I did love tennis, but I was like, my God, like I never watched so much tennis in my life. And like the internet was quite crap, so I was streaming from my laptop to the TV to watch like Netflix and stuff, but it was yep. so slow. It would just like glitch every five seconds. So I think I was watching Black Widow one afternoon, and I think it's a two-hour movie, but it probably took like four hours to watch because of the 
the glitching. And then, yeah, like a couple of my friends dropped me some food and stuff. So I just started working at peak that week. And Sean Baker, absolutely lovely human. He's him and Jamie, his wife and their family are just beautiful souls and super grateful for them. But they dropped me off like five, or like a whole week's worth of like pre-cooked meals because one of their members oh, was a chef at Pirate Life. And he, I didn't know this at the time, but now that I know who he is, like I realized that he was the one that cooked all this food. And I had like this, it was amazing food for like, yeah. You had a connection within a week. Oh, it was incredible. And I was like, okay, this makes me feel a little bit better. That was probably the worst thing that happened to me in Adelaide, like, you know, all things considered. So, well, it seems like every time you go to start something, something bad happens, but oh, it just builds that resilience further. That's it. If I needed it, I think I'm quite resilient already, but, you know, <laughs> and persevere and get through. But yeah, that was, that was a challenging time, yeah. <laughs> but oh well, we survived. And then, yeah, I would say everything else that happened in Adelaide was, again, it wasn't without its challenges at points, but best thing i ever did and i'm sure you'd say the same about darwin like, yeah you're literally having to go out of your comfort zone meet new people you know i got to work at sassy which is the institute of sport in some pretty cool programs working alongside some really cool athletes and amazing coaches and friends now play at two football teams which were yeah both really incredible in different ways meet some fantastic people got to train with the crows and then meet some more people there one of my good friends, Neve Kelly, moved over from West Coast to the Crows and then we went exploring all these different cafes. I think I ended up going to about 110 different coffee shops while I was in Adelaide. Obviously went to the same one a few times, but yeah, I was I had a little whiteboard that I had a list on and then when I was cleaning out my stuff, I counted it was like 110. Well, that's pretty pretty solid. I think Neve's probably been to about 150. I think one of the their new girls when they came over they asked like the girls to send through a cafe recommendation list and Neve had broken hers into like North, West, like oh, <laughs> all yeah, these. Yep, yep. And like our friends, Kat and Coogs would take the piss out of us. Like you guys have seen more of Adelaide than anyone else has. But yeah, like you said, it's things that you do because you might as well explore. I didn't know how long I was ever going to be in Adelaide for. Or it was going to be just the one sample season. Then obviously I was there for two and the plan was to probably stay for a third, play a second season with Woodwill. West Torrens, but then the job that I'm working in now came up and I was like, well, I can't say no to a full-time yeah. job in footy. Like, <laughs> those don't come around very often, but yeah, it was pretty surreal experience and got through two years relatively not injured. I mean, I broke my ribs, but should be right. And had it. had it's nothing, right? Had, yeah, you can. I have played, played with padding and. Ribs are made to be broken. Yeah. There was nothing you can do from anyway. And probably a hamstring tendinopathy in my right hamstring most of my first season at Westies, but we just modified training, got up for every game, happy days. <laughs> Nobody would have been any the wiser. <laughs> I just couldn't walk most days after all. I had okay. my shoulder like sublax like the third game in. So I had tape on this. My ribs were taped up most of the season. And then like my knee, I just felt a little bit funny about it. So I just was taping that up. And like one of my friends, Lauren Young, next big thing in AFLW, you watch out everybody. She was like, you look like a mummy. Like you can hold together. <laughs> and I was like, you just wait, kid. Like, wait You'll to be like this one. <laughs> the ripe old age of 25, I can't walk. <laughs> so overall Adelaide was an amazing experience and you took a lot out of it. Yeah. I mean, living on your own. Well, I lived with other people, but you know, without any friends or family. Yeah, but it's, it's a different way of living. Yeah. I got to you know, do my own thing, explore, go do whatever I wanted, train as much as I wanted. Obviously had a few different roles, was basically working full time most of this year. 
in a few different positions but was essentially doing that which was quite full on and then managing that with training but yeah overall best thing I ever did met some really incredible people it was very very hard to leave but yeah I don't know there's friends that I can always go back to there and as much as I miss them and hopefully they miss me you know I won't forget everything that I got to do with the people that I got to spend time with there and yeah we'll always hold a pretty special place I think in my, yeah. in my heart and yeah hopefully somewhere I can visit regularly ish but I was trying I said to a couple of my friends here I was like I just want to bring all my good friends from Adelaide to live here yeah. or just we can all just, just be safe in place my yeah just stay in my life like <laughs> I think what I what I would say is and I think you probably agree is moving away from where I mean, I moved away from my hometown, Geraldton, to mm. Perth, but moving to somewhere I knew no one and getting completely out of my comfort zone was probably the best thing I ever did. Oh, 100%. Like, like my mindset changed. I became like this whole, I had a whole different outlook on life. Mm. Like, yeah, you still have your moments where things don't go your way and that. Yeah. I just began, I began to do things that I didn't think I would do. 100%. And I would say I'm quite introverted person and I still was probably in Adelaide, but like you couldn't be because I'm like, well, I have to meet people. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll sit here alone. Like, <laughs> so you have to go out and meet new people, meet new friends, get new clients, and that to work with. Put yourself out there to get work opportunities, and then came to a point where I was having to turn stuff down because I was like quite busy. So I was like, this is this is great. Like you know, from starting out knowing no one, so then people like recommending me for roles and having interviews for roles or getting to meet new different people all the time was so so cool got to go to Melbourne a few times to work and then went there to watch Freo play in the semi-final which you couldn't like it's a one-hour flight like it was yeah. so easy to do and just stuff like that and traveling around Adelaide I had some good friends who'd come on like to wineries and whatnot with me and again explore coffee shops or explore like sandwich places you know and friends that were happy to give up their time to like let me explore and yeah super grateful for the people that let me bring them along my journey <laughs> like, yeah take them out and about and we even know they'd lived there their whole lives but oh yeah like you said 100 you have to be different because otherwise you're just gonna sit there on your own yeah. so and i'd recommend that to like any person thinking about going yeah to or whether they're just like unsure of want to change in life just do it whether yeah. it's even like a whole new town that you've never been to just just try something 100 do it i think yeah best thing i ever did so glad that i did it it wouldn't change any of it uh, you brushed on it just before you took another job. That's the reason for moving back to Perth. Um, football commission, was it? Yep. 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 Walk us through that. So what's what's that sort of entailing? It's pretty cool. Outside of it not being strength and conditioning. So I'll be the female and diversity coaching coordinator at the footy commission. Isn't so, that so fitting? Yeah. <laughs> so I'll oversee essentially trying to build like a talent pathway. So like the one that you have for players but for coaches and females specifically to try and one, get more females into coaching but from just my lens, I care more about the quality of those people than just how many we get. But I know we obviously have to get numbers as well. So that yeah. that will internally be like Ugh! a little bit of a struggling point, but yeah, build a pathway so that we can get more really good quality females into the coaching pathway to then provide them the opportunity to coach at whatever level that looks like for them. I know the AFL has a target of 50% female coaches in the AFLW by 2030, so that's only seven years away, and there's currently only three female coaches and not that many female assistants. And particularly here in WA, like we had some, we've got some really strong female coaches, but there's probably not a lot, or there was a massive gap in years between those people maybe three or four years ago to them now. So now we've got to try and filter up 
mm. my bit of catch up, I suppose. But that's also really exciting because I think with AFLW now, there's a lot of girls who have played at the highest level and learned a lot that potentially could be really good coaches. So it's just how do we then ingrain them in, but then make sure they don't have to go all the way back to the start because like how many guys you see just be able to skip straight back to yeah. the top. And I'm like, we can't do that to the girls. That's not fair. They got to be able to skip straight through the top as well. And yes, you got to do your time. I hundred percent think it's wrong when certain players like leave the system and then go straight back in and working in the AFL. I'm like, <laughs> like, you haven't learned anything, but I don't yeah. see an issue with them going back to, like, say, Waffle or wherever they're from. Like, yeah, that's fine because you can still provide enough of that space. You're still going to do your hard work, but how can we make it as easy as possible for players, female players who transition, say, from playing, then into coaching, and then build out their resume from that regard? Because if we've got better coaches, that means we'll get better players, which means the competition will be better. And that's not to say males can't coach females or females can't coach males. Yeah. Like, I'd love to see more females coaching in FL, yeah. Waffle or Sample. Like, and vice versa. Like, I don't care if I get coached by a male, but it's just like, how can we give it the best scope possible so we just pick the best person? It doesn't matter if they're male or female. But this just shouldn't matter whatsoever. No, but just provide more opportunities so that we can, like, so literally on the piece of paper, you've got... Jane Doe and Boris are like the same. Like there's no difference between them other than the one's male or female, but like that shouldn't matter. So then we just pick the best person based on merit. We don't just go, oh, like we really want to pick a female, but like she doesn't have the coaching experience. So you kind of have to go with the male. Yeah. Like, just bring them all up to that level sort of playing field. And then we just pick the best people for the job. And again, I think it's pretty cool. Like to have a pretty significant impact, I suppose, on WA footy in a way that I never would have thought of a few years ago, but it's almost better than anything I probably could have thought about. So I think that's actually really fitting knowing like seeing a, what we spoke about really early, but yeah. you just going through that of like, oh, it's, it's all male dominated. There's no pathway for the females. Yeah. It's all just so scattered mm. to knowing what you're doing now. That's just, that must just feel so rewarding for one, knowing you're going to have that power yeah. and that just ability. It's not even power, but it's more just the ability to have some say in WA football in general. Yeah. And, and footy as a whole. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the reason I did strength and conditioning. One, to try and help people not have to go through some of the, the horrible experiences that I went through, but to help people and give people the best opportunity possible to go as far as they want to go. Mm. Um, obviously, you want to try and push people to make sure that they get the most out of themselves, but this sort of lens, like, exactly the same. Like, I'm going to hopefully be able to provide people the best opportunity possible to be able to get as much as they want out of coaching, just like I have with all the athletes that I've worked with. Like, hopefully been able to provide them a platform that they can then build on and go as far as they they want to go and step up to the next level or whatnot or whatever that looks like for them so i think yeah resignatingly all for me it's like how can i help the most people possible to get the best out of themselves yeah. and yeah this role does all of that hopefully so, so yeah happy for you oh thank you i guess the only part is what's next what's next oh who knows hopefully yeah we can hit that 2030 target of 50%. That would be amazing from a work point of view. Hoping to do some stuff in and around waste as well, just to keep that SNC box ticking. Because yeah. obviously that is very much where my passion is, like yeah. performance side. You know, if I can work that in with the role that I'm doing at the footy commission now, that'd be perfect. Cause then I get the best of both worlds. I'll still play footy, so I'll go back and play for Subi. Hopefully we can win a few more games, sneak back into the finals, because I haven't played finals the last couple of years. The two years I haven't been there, haven't played finals for Premier's Week. <laughs> I'm just talking it. about the X Factor, so. <laughs> but yeah, go back and again, help help them there. Hopefully help coach some of the young kids on the field. Some like really nice feedback I got from being in the sample. All the young kids being like, thank you, like you taught us so much and helped us a lot. And I'm like, oh, well, that's always good. And I yeah. think 
being not that I'm old, but being a little bit older, I'm like, well, if I can help teach them, that's going to help set them up for the rest of their careers. And I've been through basically, I reckon, everything you could possibly go through as a player. So I'm like, well, if I can pass on anything to someone else that's going to help them, then I think that's really meaningful. And I think that's something I know I value is helping people. So doing that. But yeah, just taking a dog for a walk, hanging out. Just keep doing you. Just keep ticking along. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. So B, thanks so much for this. I really hope that there's someone out there that does listen to this that's whether they're male, female, athlete, or just whatever chosen career they're doing and understand the resilience and how it takes. Even if there's something bad that does happen, there's always that silver lining. 100%. I think that's one thing that, yeah, hopefully conveyed quite well. But I think if I take out of my own experience, there's probably been plenty of times that I could have just thrown in the towel or like, this is too hard. But yeah. And I know everyone's different, but I know that's not who I am. I'm like, well, okay, what can I learn from this? Like every bad thing or good thing, like you've got to be able to take something out of that and learn and grow from it. Again, personal growth is something that I really value and find important. And as horrible as some of the things that happened to me, I'm like, I'm definitely a better person now having gone through them. And then how can then I help other people then do that so they can avoid those sorts of things? But yeah, hopefully, yeah, if anyone listening can learn something, it's like, Yes, bad things will happen, but it's what you can do about them and learn from those response. experiences. Yeah, and keep continuing to grow as a person. Like, there's going to be so many things they just want to like punch you dead in the face and be like, "Ha, huh, you can't do it." But it's like, okay, how can I potentially reframe that? Be like, "Cool, okay, yes, that bad thing happened, but then all of these other opportunities opened up because of that, or I learned this from that situation." Cool, as bad as that was, and I wish it didn't happen. Now I can take those lessons and then avoid that next time. So that's exactly what we want to happen. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> B, thank you so much. It's been awesome chat. I reckon there's still so much more I'll do. Yeah. So I'm yeah, going to volume two. I'm going to have to get you on again. Yeah. I really appreciate you doing this with me today. Letting me into your house and making me a great coffee before as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but let's catch up again soon. And welcome to being official mate on the Matt and Mates podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. And yeah, hopefully I'll see you a lot more now than both in the same state. Definitely. We'll make sure of it. <laughs> thanks, Pete. No worries. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Matt and Mates podcast. If you enjoyed the show and feeling generous, you can like, follow or subscribe on our socials and whatever platform you're listening on. And for those wanting to go that bit further, you can leave a review and share with your friends and family as well. If you have any recommendations on guests, give feedback or advertise on the pod, flick an email to contact at mattandmates.com.au. Stay tuned for the next episode when it drops. And as always, I love you all. Yeah. Yeah.